I'm Greg Jarrett. I'm Sandra Smith. I'm Charles Payne, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, April 24th, 2020. I'm Trey Inks. Each country around the world is handling the outbreak of COVID-19 differently. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration is issuing daily guidelines on what's safe and what isn't. When it comes to hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine, we put out a safety communication warning uh, physicians and providers that these drugs have serious side effects. This is the Fox News Rundown, global pandemic. More than 2.7 million people around the world have been infected with coronavirus. Despite dozens of ongoing clinical trials for treatments and vaccines, a magic bullet is yet to be found. Over the next few minutes, you'll get the latest headlines on the global COVID-19 outbreak and hear from David Lim, a healthcare reporter at Politico, about efforts the United States government is doing to find solutions to the ongoing coronavirus problems. Starting first, though, in the United Kingdom, where human trials began yesterday for a coronavirus vaccine. The UK is providing around 39 million US dollars to two university teams working on the projects. The country's health minister said they'll be investing in manufacturing capabilities at the same time. So if a solution is found, it can be easily distributed. Now to the Middle East, in Israel, the drug Selenexor will start to be tested on patients. This drug was made by a company that's co-founded by an Israeli scientist. It's currently used for cancer treatment when a patient doesn't respond to other therapies. Four Israeli hospitals are set to take part in the study. Finally, in the United States, the death toll from coronavirus reached 50,000 people today. The Food and Drug Administration issued a warning today against the use of chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine outside of a hospital or clinical trial due to patients having heart complications after use. So what is the American government doing to facilitate other possible coronavirus treatment and vaccine trials? The Food and Drug Administration, their first and primary task is to ensure the safety of any medical product or uh, they also oversee aspects of the food supply. This is David Lim, a healthcare reporter at Politico. He joins us today from Washington. They're trying to make sure that products are offered that are safe for Americans to take. Um, when it comes to hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine, what they did this morning, they put out a safety communication warning uh, physicians and providers that these drugs have serious side effects. Uh, the safety communication went in uh, to discuss the cardiac impacts that uh, these drugs can have um, and really encouraged that these drugs shouldn't be used outside of a, a hospital setting. Um, they didn't go, I believe, so far as to say that they shouldn't uh, be used outside of clinical trials. Um, but that is what some health experts, including former FDA officials, have really called for um, due to some of the uh, side effects of these drugs. You've covered the FDA for a while. Is this common for them to release these types of statements? And I mean, are they actually participating in some of the trials on behalf of the American government? I mean, is this where Americans should look if they're looking for information about what the latest is in terms of recommendations or developments in these areas? Yeah, absolutely. I think that looking at what the Food and Drug Administration and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention uh, put out directly, that's a really good source of information for Americans. As to if this is common, uh, the Food and Drug Administration will put out these safety communications or uh, even more stringent warnings about medical products uh, frequently when they come across information uh, that may suggest that there is uh, cause for concern 
about a, a medical product out in the field. Uh, for example, duodenoscopes were an area of focus prior to coronavirus uh, that had a lot of attention from the agency. Uh, uh, some risk of infection from not cleaning these devices uh, adequately uh, and that leading to infections in some patients. Speaking of the CDC, you had a pretty major scoop last month when it comes to labs and testing shortages. This was national news. Can you tell us a little bit about your reporting on this issue of testing shortages in the United States? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So going back to uh, the early uh, days for the United States with coronavirus, uh, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention tried to develop their own diagnostic test um, and there were issues with one of the components of that test that caused uh, many of the public health labs across the country to not be able to uh, use those tests with confidence. Um, one of the first scoops I had was that only three out of nearly 100 of these public health labs were able to um, verify that those tests were uh, safe to use uh, because they couldn't uh, ensure that it was working as intended. And then as time has gone on, I've really been focusing on aspects of the testing uh, story. Uh, and one big aspect of that is the supply chain for testing. I think one thing that's important to realize is that when you talk about testing, it's not as easy as going to a doctor's office and getting a result. Um, although there are some point of care tests that are coming onto the market finally, uh, some of my reporting has focused on uh, laboratory testing. Um, so when you talk about what happens with coronavirus testing, usually you're going to have to have a person uh, get swabbed um, in the nose or uh, deep in the throat. Um, so there, one of the first stories that I broke was that when you take that swab and go to the lab, you need to extract the uh, RNA from the sample. Um, from the swab to prepare it to be actually be tested. And the chemicals used to do that, um, there were widespread uh, shortages of that chemical and it was really limiting the ability of the United States to run large quantities of this test. Um, and really since then, you've seen all aspects of the testing supply chain come under pressure from the swabs um, to those chemicals I discussed to protective equipment for the laboratory technicians who are uh, testing, um, and then just logistical. Um, maybe you, as a country, have the capacity to run X number of tests, um, but in reality, different labs will have different amounts of supplies, um, and you're going to have uh, challenges making sure that samples are sent to the ones that can actually run the test at that moment in time. On the supply chain issue, I mean, who steps in to fix this? Is this a, a government mandate, or is this something that individual companies have to figure out on their own? So one thing that the Trump administration has said fairly publicly and frequently is that they're really leaning on states to figure out uh, the supply chain uh, for their own testing supplies. And this has uh, received a lot of criticism from uh, governors across the country on both sides of the aisle. Um, they say that a national uh, testing strategy is necessary. Uh, there needs to be stronger coordination um, between the federal government and states as well as uh, more direction uh, and utilization of some of the uh, 
legislation uh, that the president has available to him. Um, one uh, that has been discussed fairly frequently is the Defense Production Act. Um, there are different arms of that piece of legislation, um, some that are aimed at helping companies get supplies um, to kind of ramp up their capacity to manufacture. And then there are other aspects that basically direct a company to use existing uh, resources uh, to focus on production of one uh, product. Uh, so for example, uh, ventilators uh, was one area that the administration looked into. And then more recently, uh, we've seen them use uh, the Defense Production Act uh, aiming to help uh, the small uh, swab maker in the Northeast United States uh, ramp up their testing capacity, or excuse me, their uh, manufacturing capacity for these swabs from about 3 million to 20 million a month. You were in the White House this week during the briefing questioning the president on this topic give us some more details on what you felt it was important to ask president trump about regarding the outbreak of coronavirus and what was your thinking behind the questioning sure um so a lot of my reporting has really been focused on uh, how do we increase the amount of testing to the numbers that a lot of public health experts say is necessary to understand the spread of the disease uh, be able to trace the contacts of those who are infected to ensure that they stay home and don't pose a risk of further um, infecting others in their communities. Um, some experts have put out numbers anywhere from tripling our current capacity uh, to uh, making it 10 or 10 to 30 fold. Uh, the Rockefeller Institute uh, estimated that 30 million tests uh, per week will eventually be necessary uh, to get a grasp on spread of coronavirus in the United States. Um, so going back to the question that I asked the president, um, when I talked to uh, laboratories, uh, these private companies that the United States has really leaned on uh, to expand testing capacity in the United States, they've told me that to double the amount of testing that they are already doing uh, their capacity to test uh, suspected coronavirus patients, they're going to have to buy new diagnostic platforms, so new machines uh, to expand how many tests they can run in a certain amount of time. Um, the administration in the past week has really said that there already exists the ability to double the amount of testing capacity if we just have better logistical organization as a country. Um, so I was really trying to get a sense of how they thought that that could be true. Well, these labs are telling me that they need to actually buy machines, which are complicated and will take time to manufacture uh, to be able to double their uh, testing capacity. You've been listening to political health care reporter David Lim. We'll be right back. This is a good time to disclose to our listeners that you and I are friends and we went to university together. And, you know, in our conversations about this outbreak early on, I was impressed and really surprised with your thoughts because this was before the pandemic had reached the United States at levels anywhere close to what we're seeing today. But you seem to understand that this was the type of virus that was going to spread rapidly and affect the American people on a scale we hadn't seen in our lifetimes or any generations before us. What was your sense early on about this, and, and how did you 
have this foresight to understand that this was really going to be something that was going to overwhelm medical systems in the U.S. and also something that was going to change the way we operate as a society. Yeah, I remember you came and visited uh, Washington uh, a few months ago, and I think that a lot of the people that we got dinner with um, kind of left when I expressed concern about um, the potential for the virus to come to the United States and really impact uh, our the way that we live our lives. Um, being able to go out in public and eat at a restaurant like we were doing. Uh, I think one of the signs that uh, concerned me pretty early on uh, were the steps that we saw China taking, um, really taking unprecedented actions to try to stop the spread of the virus in their country. Um, and China doesn't shut down its economy like that if it uh, is not a serious uh, disease that they're trying to grapple with. Uh, a lot of my friends uh, who are teaching English in China, I say a lot, but one or two, uh, expressed uh, some of the measures that they were seeing on the ground um, in uh, Beijing. Uh, and Beijing wasn't even the center of the outbreak, uh, Wuhan. Uh, the Hubei province uh, was. So that kind of gave me a little bit of sense that we were a little bit in trouble. Um, the other thing that concerned me was, I actually forget exactly when you visited, um, but again, our testing early on um, in January, in February, was extremely limited. Um, the president has really touted uh, that he closed down travel to China pretty uh, early on. And, uh, you know, uh, in fairness to him, the WHO at the time was warning against that. Um, but I think what a lot of public health experts have expressed to me is that we didn't take advantage of any time that we bought because we weren't actually testing uh, enough to detect spread of the coronavirus in the United States uh, before it became too big of an issue to contain. That's an interesting point. Your reporting on this has, has really been incredible. And what an interesting beat to be on in this unique time throughout history. David Lim, a healthcare reporter at Politico. Thanks again for your time, David. Yeah, thanks for having me again, Trey. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.